Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ 102.1, where we challenge the assumptions of our current society to resist oppression and investigate alternative ways of living for a world based on justice, solidarity, and sustainability. Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ 102.1 FM. You are with Andy. I'll be here for the next hour paying our respects to the Aboriginal land on which this is broadcast here station north of the river on Turable land broadcasting out to uh, Jagara, Cubby Cubby, um, Waka Waka out west. You'll probably get it, Quandam Waka down in um, Cleveland, Stradbrook Island area um, and even probably Yugen Bear down on Gold Coast acknowledging the traditional owners. And today on Paradigm Shift, we are going to be talking about Aboriginal child removal. Um, this Tuesday was Sorry Day. It was the 23rd anniversary of the tabling of the Bring Them Home report in Parliament, that report into the Stolen Generations, um, a historical incident in Australia that had been for a long time denied or downplayed, and that report was an important part of truth-telling in Australian history and an important step in righting some of the injustices that have been done to Aboriginal people in this country. Of course, for many decades, um, Aboriginal people systematically removed from their families as an attempt to assimilate them into white society. Important to remember that on Sorry Day as we did this Tuesday, but important also to note that as many people have said, there are more Aboriginal people uh, being removed from their families today than there ever were during that official policy. And we are living through what is being called the second stolen generation. And that's what we'll be talking about on the paradigm shift today. I interviewed Richard Weston from uh, Snake, which is the Secretary for National... Aboriginal and Islander community, something, something like that. They put out a report every year called Family Matters, which is an uh, investigation into Aboriginal child removal. And so I spoke to him about that report, about some of the issues. And then I also spoke to Karen Fusi, who is from Grandmothers Against Removal, who do very practical work in helping Aboriginal families in the courts, in docks, fighting to... Uh, keep uh, Aboriginal kids in their uh, extended family, in their culture. And so that's what's coming up over the next hour. 
do stick around. It's a pretty important part of um, what's going on in Australia today in understanding the continuing struggles of Aboriginal people. And it's certainly something that isn't always told. And so without further ado, I might start off with chatting with Richard Weston. Can you start by introducing yourself? Yeah, my name's Richard Weston. I'm the CEO of uh, SNAKE, the Secretary for National Aboriginal and Islander Child Care, the National Voice for Children. Now, this week is a significant week for uh, Australian history and for Aboriginal children. It it was Sorry Day on Tuesday, the anniversary of uh, the Bringing Them Home report into the Stolen Generations. Um, But it has been said by some people that we're currently living in a second stolen generation of Aboriginal child removals. Why do people say that? The the reason that um, that's being said is because Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children are grossly overrepresented in child child protection systems around the country. So an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander child is 10 times more than 10 times more likely to be residing in out-of-home care than non-Indigenous children. Um, and this figure isn't going backwards. It's um, it's increasing every year. And within 10, years, within 10 years, if we don't do anything about it, if we don't take some urgent action, that, that figure is going to double. So um, it does uh, have echoes of the stolen generations just high levels of children being removed, uh, disconnected from family, their culture, uh, their kin and their identity. And these create, that creates long, long long-lasting impacts for for children um, right throughout their lives. And that's what we've seen with the stolen generation. So that's why current day removals have have a similarity to what went on with the stolen generations through the 20th century. Uh, the government can't use overtly racist reasons for taking away Aboriginal children. What are the reasons given now for why there's such a, so many Aboriginal children taken away from their families? Well, there's, it's, it's, it, I, I think it's complex. There's, um, there are things that draw um, authorities' attention to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. One of the the main um, contributing factors is that one in almost one in three Aboriginal people families are living in poverty, so that has a big impact. But the primary reasons given for uh, the removal of children um, is, is neglect, and uh, the children also um, impacted by domestic violence. Um, that, that's one of the bigger drivers too. But neglect is such a a um, subjective term um, and that's why we have um, high numbers of our children, high proportion of our kids in that system. So what we call for is uh, greater involvement of Aboriginal people, Aboriginal families in in the child protection process um, and it's really important that children are protected. There's no question about that. Um, you know, children, we, we recognise that children who are are in unsafe conditions in many, in some cases, have to be removed. But there are overwhelmingly, we believe that um, 
you know, with some more early intervention, some better supports around families, greater involvement of families in the process, and uh, more Aboriginal community-controlled organisations who understand the community and understand the family dynamics and understand the challenges, um, you know, we could reduce those numbers um, for of, of our kids going into that system. Yeah, for example, neglect for a childcare bureaucrat may just mean there's not much food in the house, which is a, a reality of poverty. And um, this is something that can be changed easier than removing children, you'd say. Exactly. I mean, that, well, you've just hit the nail on the head. What does neglect actually mean? What does it look like? And when we have non-Indigenous people making a judgment based on their own, um, you know, coming from their own um, worldview, that can be challenging uh, for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. It can put them in touch with the system. Well, with the wrong part of the system, the removal part, when really what they need is support. Um, you know, we, we need to, you know, there's, there's uh, services that provide support um, that help families um, through, um, you know, to deal with issues like poverty and, and um, having money for food. But there's also the need for, you know, jobs and meaningful work to be provided as well. So, so the simple, I guess many of the systems at the moment operate on a, on a report, substantiate, remove process. So it's very straightforward and simple. But that, um, that process doesn't take into account um, issues like poverty, issues like um, uh, levels of trauma that have been in, in, an impact on our communities. And, um, you know, there's... There's, we can get better results. Children can still be in a safe household, even if, if that family's living in poverty. Um, the children are still in a loving household, then we shouldn't be removing them. We should just be supporting the family to do better. Um, and, uh, you know, we don't, we don't have enough of that in the system at the moment. But if we can um, push governments and departments to focus more on early intervention and preventing children from going into that system... Uh, we can reduce those numbers um, of kids in, in out-of-home care. As well as the high numbers of uh, Aboriginal children that are removed from their families, it has a big bigger effect on Aboriginal people as well because not just you're removed from your you know immediate family but also from the culture and the broader community. Well, the impact of that is devastating, and that's why it's that's why this week when we, you know, we commemorate the stolen generations on National Sorry Day, we can see through their experience what happens to children when they are removed. You know, not only from their families, as you said, it's it's also being disconnected from your kinship structures in your community. Your disconnected from the knowledge that gets passed down to you through your through your culture um, and and the experience of stolen generations around their identity um, was that the you know governments wanted Aboriginal people to act like white fellows and you know that's the sort of um, policies that were in place at the time um, to try and assimilate Aboriginal people into into um, you know Western society, but uh, 
the impact of stolen generations was that it, that didn't work. We know that stolen generations experience higher levels of disadvantage than other Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people that weren't removed, and the same same is true for the descendants of the stolen generations. So that negative social disadvantage impact gets passed down from one generation to the next. So we know that the more of our children that are going into these contemporary um, out-of-home care systems and being removed, we know what the impact on their lives is going to be because we have the living example of the stolen generations. And that's why this um, this issue is urgent. Um, this is this is a crisis issue that needs to be responded to, and you know, and and the response has to involve and partner, uh, involve a partnership with the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities, and uh, and and grow the number of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander organisations working in this in this sector. One response to that that's been mentioned over the years is. Uh, prioritising kinship care for kids that are, you know, in need of protection. Is that something that is part of the government response? Well, it should be. One of the the, um, the underlying principles that we have for uh, children in the system, in the out-of-home care system, is the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander child placement principle, now, this this principle requires that, um, you know, for Aboriginal uh, and Torres Strait Islander children need to be prioritised in a, in a placement with someone from their own... Well, preferably from their own family in their own kinship system, but if not, if that's not possible with another Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander family, yeah, you know, that's going to give them the best opportunity to stay connected with their community, connect with their culture and, and strong in their identity. So that's a key part of the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Child Placement Principle. And that principle was um, highlighted uh, as, a, as a response to um, the removal of children in the um, Bringing Them Home report that was published 23 years ago. So it's been a long-standing principle, but... Whilst governments have agreed to it, in, uh, agreed to implement it, it's, it just hasn't been implemented fully um, and a lot of lip service has been given to those issues of finding um, uh, proper kinship carers. But there's projects in the Northern Territory that's starting to do that better by involving elders in the process so that families can be located and kin carers um, responsible kin carers can be found but there needs to be more to be done because those numbers of kinship carers are falling away um you know and that's it's it's one of the ways that we can navigate this very difficult system is by keeping our kids connected to who they are and um you know who their people are
need to let you know this is straight from the heart. I'm not here to preach and this ain't no speech. It's just my mum who told me nothing's out of reach. Now mum was born almost a century ago. She was pretty old. So needless to say, she had a lot of yarns to be told. She told of her kids who were taken away. But why? I said, why don't you look? Why did you say? You kids got it easy, got no idea You can walk around today without much fear But we're still black, you see And we will never be free So watch what you do and say In front of white, in front of Taken away in the night, in the dark and the cold. But mum, where are they? Not now, my girl, we'll talk another day. And she'd go in her room with a heavy sigh. And through the door I'd hear her cry, cry, cry. Too young to understand, if only I knew. Shame, sometimes I wondered if it were all true. I couldn't imagine if someone could take someone's kids or if they would. Anybody was kissing them good night if they were clean, if they were fed, if they were loved, if they were dead, if they were clean, if they were fed, if they were loved, if they were dead. Carla Hart there featuring Vanessa Hopes. We've had to be a lot of powerful songs over the years written about uh, the stolen generation. We will play some of them today on the Paradigm Shift. We are talking about Aboriginal child removals. It was, of course, Sorry Day on Tuesday and 
before that song, we were speaking with Richard Weston about the ongoing um, issue of Aboriginal child removals. We'll go back to chatting with Richard now. Since 2016, every year, Snake has been preparing a, a Family Matters report on this issue. Have things changed for better or worse since then? Well, they're getting worse. Um, every year we see an increase um, of uh, children in the out-of-home care system. Um, at the moment, it's around just under 40% of uh, all children in out-of-home care are Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander children, um, but those children are only 5.5% of the um of the population, so grossly overrepresented. And the trajectory that we're on with this rate of removal is that within 10 years, that figure will double. Um, there's just under 18,000 Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander kids in care at the moment. Um, so we could see that figure double within 10 years unless something's done about it. Mm. Is it that government policies and practices have changed in that time? Is that why that number keeps going up or, or what's the reason that it keeps going up? Look, I think that's a, yeah, look, that's a good question. I think the impact of trauma um, in our communities isn't well understood, so that, that has had an impact. Growing levels of poverty has had, has had an impact. It's brought more of our children um, to the attention of authorities. I think... Um, the systems have, a, have been slow to move, um, so there's not... Uh, the greater investment in the child protection system is, is in the what we call the tertiary end or the, the out-of-home care end. Um, and so 83% of investment goes into that tertiary end um, and only 17% goes into support services for children. So if we could um, rejig that balance um, and have more at the front end of the system where kids are coming into contact early early with the system, then I think we could slow that rate and perhaps turn it around. But, um, you know, it's a, these are large systems governed by strict um, legislation um, and Family Matters have, provides, uh, I guess, options for legislation to include um, a greater emphasis on the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander child placement principle and also uh, involving Aboriginal people in the system through uh, family-led decision-making. So those initiatives can be built into legislation. We've seen that happen in Queensland and we've seen it happen in Victoria. So we need it to happen in more of the jurisdictions across the country. So some things are starting to change, but we're, you know, there's, there's a lot more to be done. Yeah, so Queensland has put in place an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander family participation program. What does this look like and has this been effective? Look, it's, it's still fairly early, but it means that um, there's 33 new um, Aboriginal community-controlled organisations that are um, part of the child protection system. Um, I think early results are showing that... Uh, um, you know, less children are, are entering care in some places, but also there's more children going back to their families. So um, if we can, you know, evaluate those um, services properly, um, get the evidence, I think we could see a growing investment in that kind of model. And it's happening in Victoria as well. So, 
it's not to say, I, I guess, it's not to say things are totally hopeless. There are improvements. We just need to see it happen um, uh, beyond, you know, beyond Queensland and Victorian borders. It needs to happen across the country. So there's, you know, and Aboriginal people have solutions to this. It's been driven, those, those processes in Queensland have been driven by the Family Matters campaign and Quatsip, which is the um, child, Aboriginal child protection peak in Queensland. So, and, and you know, and, and again, government wants to engage with Aboriginal people. So, you know, that's what we need to see more of. We need to see this partnering, government's partnering with Aboriginal people, um, showing some confidence and trust in, 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 you know, our knowledge of our communities and our, our situations, and we can get better outcomes for everybody. We can get better outcomes for children, but we can start to, um, you know, reduce the taxpayer investment in, in these huge systems that don't, don't, you know, don't deliver much benefit. In this year's Family Matters report, you note that government transparency has changed um, for the worse, can you tell us about this? Look, I think some of the things that um, governments do with with the data is they they introduce um, initiatives like uh, permanent care orders and and other other options for for the care of children, and these things distort the figures. So. Um, we write to governments every year when we're putting the Family Matters report together and we get data back from them. So we know how many kids are in out-of-home care, how many kids are on permanent court care orders or how many kids are in other other um, uh, other types of care. Um, and the governments take those other types of care out of the home, out of out of the out-of-home care figure, which um, reduces the numbers for them. But we... We have a process where we gather that information and add it back in because we're really interested in how many children are disconnected from their families, so who aren't living with their families, who are at risk of losing connection with their community, with their culture and, and with their identity. Those are the things that um, protect children and build resilience in, in children and families and communities. Um, and if these systems... Um, allowed to go unchecked then um you know we have more more this growing number of kids in care and more problems into our communities so the other thing that family matters is doing is calling for uh, the establishment of a national aboriginal and torres strait islander children's commissioner um we have a lot of support for that from aboriginal organizations and mainstream organizations from around the country so we will we'll continue that call we have three commissioners in the states, one in Queensland, newly appointed um, Nat Lewis, um, who was a co-chair of Family Matters, so very pleased that Nat's in that role. We have April Laurie in South Australia and Justin Muhammad in Victoria, but we'd like to see those commissioners in every state and a national commissioner as well. And I think the um, this COVID uh, pandemic crisis is um, really demonstrating why we need uh, such a position to keep governments accountable and to keep an eye on what's going on with our, in, with our children in these complex um, child protection systems. Okay, so you've mentioned a few things that are possible solutions, uh, more family participation programs of Indigenous people, um, funding towards 
keeping kids in their family rather than supporting the the carers and a, a national children's commissioner. Are there other things that Snake thinks could be done to improve this situation? Well, I think the um, the accountability issue is important. So national commission is important, but we're in the process of negotiating a, a new 10-year closing the gap agreement you know, with all governments, so it's with the Commonwealth Government and with all the states and territory governments at the table. Um, there's an opportunity here to put a target in there around reducing the number of uh, children in care within 10 years. So we're certainly pushing that um, that initiative because that brings all governments, all governments have agreed to the closing the gap agenda. Um, we just have to get the finer detail done around targets. But I think that's a great opportunity to um, really tackle this issue, um, uh, you know, in a, in a coordinated and, and uh, I guess, a comprehensive way um, and a systemic way. Um, so I think that's, you know, that's one of the, the key opportunities at the moment. And I think... Um, building a, a, a good Aboriginal community controlled sector um, around children's services uh, I think is, is really important too to give give support to children and families when they, they, they experience some, some vulnerability um, you know we should be you know the removal of children should be a last resort not the first resort we should be putting as much effort as we can to keep children in their families because that's where kids want to be you know they they want to be with their, their mums and dads and their brothers and sisters and their uncles and aunties. And every child wants that. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children are no different. We just have some different challenges because, because history has been weighted, weighted against us. But um, if we take account of those historical impacts, then we can get better outcomes. Okay, thanks, Richard. Thanks very much. Appreciate it. Bush in the land 
Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ, 102.1 FM. That is Kerry ann Cox there with Stolen Children. Before that, we were speaking with Richard Weston of Family Matters, who uh, put out a report each year keeping track on Aboriginal child removals and recommending ways to... Uh, lower the rates of Aboriginal child removals and keep kids within their families and their culture. Um, That's what we've been talking about on the Paradigm Shift today. Another organisation that takes a different approach to achieve the same goals is Grandmothers Against Removals. It's quite a grassroots organisation, but it stretches across the continent and connects uh, families who are trying to keep their kids with people who have been through it and can help. And one of those people is Arnie Karen Fusi, Brisbane local here. And I spoke with Arnie Karen this morning 
uh, about grandmothers against removals. Can you start by introducing yourself? Oh, yeah, my name is um, Karen Fusey, and me, Matheson. I'm a cookie Yalanji woman and a cookie Imaji woman from North Queensland. And I'd, I'd just like to um, give my respect to the um, traditional owners of this um, area where I've been residing in Brisbane. Um, I just like to acknowledge them, the elders past and present. And we always got to remember we're standing on stolen land. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Um, now, speaking of things that are stolen, this week, this Tuesday was Sorry Day, where we remember the stolen generations. But Many people have said that the stolen generations are an ongoing thing and that we're going through a second stolen generation now. And this is something, Karen, that you have first-hand experience of, isn't it? Yeah. Well, um, in 2015, we formed um, Grandmothers Against Removal. Um, like, in front of Sydney Parliament House, I got into, I invited Dan to... Um, stand in solidarity with our auntie called Auntie Hazel. She's from um, Canada, her and her daughter. So I um, I flew down to um, and just like hearing their stories because they heard my story when I spoke about my daughter. She committed suicide. Was her baby was taken from her breast at the Royal Brisbane Hospital and child safety um, like there's a special um, ward in every hospital in the South Continent and they call it the Pods Ward so when they remove the children from their mummy's breast they put them straight in a special room and it's, it, it's security stands at the door and the mother's not even allowed to go in to visit their baby. And I got a little girl, she's 10 year old now, and my daughter rang me and she said, Mum, um, come and get the baby. I'm walking out of hospital. The baby was three days old. And my daughter, um, she walked away from the Royal Brisbane Hospital with depression. She was depressed. And all that went in my head was remembering a story my mum told me when they were swimming at the um, water hole in Sherbrooke at the Brownburn. And um, my mum was standing there crying and the um, truck come in and rounded up all the fair-skinned children. And like, Oh my God, my daughter's just got a child removed from her breast. And my mum told me a story. She stood on the riverbank and she cried for her sister. But her sister came back and found them. And, and you know, a lot of our mob, a lot of, you know, our allies, they know that story. My brand skin baby, they take him away. And our songs that they sing, they true songs. You know, they took the children away. So 2015, we went to Canberra, and we had um, 
And the jigalong auntie's over. It was the last time Auntie Levin that played the part in Robert Prufence, Auntie Audrey. So, and that night they danced for us and because they have to paint up and um, they can't dance through the day, they've got to dance at night because they got their namu, their namu not covered. And um, it's so beautiful, eh? and we walked up to Parliament House and we had, the children led the march and we had the, um, we had some other um, allies with us and they were called uh, Forgotten Australians. So we got Grandmothers Against Removal and we got Forgotten Australians. So Forgotten Australians are, she worked in a delivery room ward at Gladstone Hospital and she's seen the same thing happening with all these little white children put in the special room called pods. So she walked off her job and she started exposing, exposing the system and exposing um, what the hospital was doing. So she formed this group called the Forgotten Australians. And we all, we all met at, um, like, Canberra Embassy and we marched. And um, it was beautiful because, like, we still, today, we still fighting for children. I sit home, I'm on the phone um, ringing up. We've got, we got our own pro bono lawyers and we've got more sovereignty ways now. So, child safety, with that little girl who's 10, um, I asked child safety what they're going to do with my grandchildren because they were still in the care. They said, oh, we're going to take them to the 18, and I said, um, allow over my dead body. I said, I'm going to fight you. To get your own grandchildren back, you had to go through the court system, didn't you? Yeah, um, well, a lot of our people don't understand, like, when, when our children get removed, black and white children, um, there's, there's two buckets of money. So you got the state and you got the federals. And I started like um, realizing this because when the children got removed, there was an allegation. So child safety removed my grandchildren. So I met up with um, Brother Coco Wharton and other members of the embassy. We met at Jagra and we um, we threatened child safety that we was going to come over and march with the media. And then, yeah, and my brother, he had a heart attack and, um, you know, he was a song man. But the thing is, I lost my brother, but I, I got my children back, all, my, all the children. Um, they came back to me and my husband. We were living in Stafford at 6 o'clock. Um, that night, and my brother died um, the next day. I had to fight for um, the children before I can go and let him go on to dream time. So um, I wouldn't let the doctors touch my brother until I went to fight for his, because he had two grandchildren and my daughter's grand son. Then I had my daughter. And my other two grandchildren were 
my daughter committed suicide. So I like seven kids. And um, I fought, I fought, no one, and I got them back. So Tyrese and Patrice, they, they've got their own property now, down in um, Cleveland, and they'll, they come and visit me. And then um, I've got Harley and uh, Katrina's still in school and the other children. So they're still doing their education and, you know, learning. Classic Australian folk song there from Bob Randall. That is Brown Skin Baby. And like that song on the Paradigm Shift today, we are talking about Aboriginal child removals, not just historically in 
the stolen generations, but currently where the rates of Aboriginal child removal is 10 times the rate of non-Aboriginal child removal. Um, we have been speaking with Karen Fusi from Grandmothers Against Removals. Let's go back to chatting with Karen. So, Grandmothers Against Removals, you mentioned it exists all over Australia in different places. What kind of practical things does it do to support um, Aboriginal families at risk of having kids taken away? Well, um, like, if there's, there's someone being removed from Sherbrooke, then Sherbrooke is like um, where I was born, where my mum, mother, was taken away from Kawaniyama and sent to Woodford and um, they made them walk to Sherbrooke. And um, so, let me see for William, I ring here and she'll go over to um, Sherbrooke and meet up with the family and dogs and um, we send any super um, money to travel or we find a bus fare or we get a hired, get someone to get a hired bus for them. Well, she's in Chinchilla, so she'll go over to Sherbrooke. So she sort of covers the South Burnett. I sort of cover in Brisbane. And then we've got Helen in Sydney. Um, we've got um, Sister Vanessa. Holborn in WA, and uh, there was a uh, auntie down there. We got a few um, members in WA that we keep in contact. So, and WA keep in contact with us. So we flew Auntie Bob over here from WA to Brisbane, and um, because. Child safety went and took a granddaughter out of the school in WA and flew her to Gladstone to a old nun. So like, I said, it's not a WA case anymore, it's a Queensland. So I um, hosted the auntie and the sisters and we went into QCAT and Auntie Bob won the case and I flew with her to Gladstone with some of foster mother as well, as I fight the system. And I can't take any child in my home and because I'm still a foster mother and I'm a sovereign woman. Mm. And that's my sovereign right because they are our, our children. You know, so we, this is our work. We've got people everywhere. So yes. that's... You go into Department of Child Safety and advocate for people. You've supported people in the court. And you're also, for a long time in Brisbane, running a food program to make sure that families had fruit and veg in their house so they uh, couldn't be accused of neglect, eh? Yeah, yeah. We and then, um, we, we sort of had to have a break, um, you know, getting a bit burnt out, so... But I still let other organisations know how to set it up. And so then they, um, like some of the organisations that I've given all that information, they always ring me and um, ask if I'm okay, if you've got any um, families that need some food. So 
um, they'll give me a heap of food and me and my husband will um, share it around. So we had about six, seven, eight, nine, ten families out of one big delivery out to my my own. <laughs> so, you know, my little granddaughter goes, well, then you're going to, you know, we're going to give and share because then good things will come. We're going to change the way we think. Mm. We're going to do things with with our heart. If we're not doing it from our heart and doing it from our head, you cannot um, have successful cases that you're going to win. Because, you know, you're going to remember you're up against the police, you're up against the judge, you know, and um, every force in the system, you're up against them. You know, and then we had a meeting with the federal court judge, Pascoe, is an indigenous judge in Sydney, and he was the one who told us, he said, you ain't winning your cases because you ain't coming to the federal court. So you got a federal and a commonwealth. So a lot of our people don't know this. So that's why I went to the federal courts. And I was telling my people, you need to go to federal courts, put an application in, and only one auntie done it. There's only Sifa, uh, Roma, and she's a full guardian of her grandchildren. But before that, child safety would, you know, do whatever they want to, come into take their children, grannies. So, um, yeah, that's, um, that's what I like do I and I get only safer and the others they do the other work but I'm about um, bringing our mob to do that application in the federal court you know we it's sad that we got um, um, quite the system because that, we, that is our human rights these children belong to us and they got no right to take them away and what they're doing is ripping these babies' hearts and the mothers. And remember, they done it many years ago, before us, before us. They came and invaded into their privacy and they took their culture away. They started, you know, colonizing our people. So it's very hard to decolonize our, our, our mob. But we can still meet up. All right. Thanks, Arnie Karen. Okay, Andy. Thank you. That is Karen Fusi there from Grandmothers Against Removal talking about some of the things that they've done, quite remarkable things, really, a completely grassroots organisation of grandmothers who have all had their own struggles in the courts and in the government child care system, um, how they support one another around the country, support other families to try to keep kids in their families and in their culture. Uh, if you're interested in finding out more about Grandmothers Against Removal, they do have a Facebook page um, and Arnie Karen's around in Brisbane doing things. We also spoke today, of course, with Richard Weston, who is from SNAKE, the Secretariat of National Aboriginal and Islander Childcare. 
um, and they put out the Family Matters report every year um, into Aboriginal child removal. You can read that report or the summary of it at the SNAKE website, which is snake.org.au, SNAKE, spelled S-N-A-I-C-C. Um, and it is, of course, as we remember on Sorry Day, on Tuesday, uh, the anniversary of the Bring Them Home report in 1997. It is an important part of our history to remember the trauma, as Richard Weston said, and Karen said as well, the um, trauma from those child removals back then is still a living reality today and we're still dealing with that. And, of course, it's time... Now we have the opportunity to try to stop some of that trauma from coming in the future and try to fix up. So um, this is an important issue for all Australians to get involved in. Um, That's about it for the paradigm shift. We'll see you next week. Uh, We've had some sad songs today. I thought I'd go out with an inspiring one. This is Briggs with The Children Came Back. Children came.
Hey 